I know that this is more than a victory of party or person. It is a tribute to the program that was begun by our beloved President John F. Kennedy. Election night, 1964, a huge landslide for Lyndon Johnson, now elected president in his own right. The so-called accidental president was no more, and the Kennedy era receded further into the rearview mirror. But not for Jackie. This was November, after all, which meant the first anniversary of her husband's assassination lay dead ahead. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to Jackie, a podcast about my book that explores Jacqueline Kennedy's life from November 1963 to October 1968, her transformation from First Lady to Jackie O. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on April 14th, but to this day, his birthday, February the 12th, is what Americans often remember. In fact, it's still considered a legal holiday in parts of the country. Jackie thought Americans should also remember Jack on his birthday, May 29th. Why the focus on November 22nd? Even today, six decades later, the day of the assassination is burned into the national conscience. Like December the 7th before it and September 11th now, the mere mention of the date needs no elaboration. Jackie resented this. Why remember his death? She was also overwhelmed and sometimes upset that people were beginning to honor him in ways that she considered trivial. Barbara Perry is the director of presidential studies at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. She also hated this thought that there were going to be all these things named for him, that 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 was upsetting to her, that just the the average street or the average school building, and she, she wasn't finding comfort in that. And then I suspect that for many of those, not just the major uh, landmarks that we know about, but I imagine for so many others, Uh, She was probably being invited, you know, would you like to come to the dedication of this school in your husband's name or this bridge over the Ohio River in your husband's name? And I think it was to Adlai Stevenson that she wrote and said, it's just hard. She said, it's hard for me even to see a a picture of Jack right now or a painting of him or a bust of him uh, because it it just makes me so sad uh, to see that. As we've mentioned before, Jackie wanted her husband honored and remembered, but on her terms, the way she wanted. She wanted him to be remembered by the things she wanted and the way she wanted. But I think she found this glut of things being named for him that she had no control over. Uh, And as she also said, all of the attention being given to her children uh, and worried so much for how that would impact them and how how would they grow up with all this attention uh, foisted upon them. Some things named after President Kennedy did please his widow, On November 27, 1963, just five days after the assassination, Jackie asked President Johnson to rename Cape Canaveral, the Florida launch site for America's space program, in his honor. After all, it was JFK who set the goal in 1961 of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth before the end of the decade. 
It was the only thing Jackie ever asked President Johnson for. His response, done. Jackie knew that there would be enormous press coverage of the assassination's first anniversary. There was nothing she could do about it. As she had done with Theodore White in her crafting of the Camelot myth, and as she had done with Willie Manchester, selecting him to write the definitive account of her husband's murder, she decided to cooperate with just one publication. She chose Look Magazine. A summer photo shoot showed her at Hyannis with her kids. Caroline, the article said, had always been a reserved young lady, but now she had grown even more withdrawn. Caroline remembers, it said, and she feels her father's loss deeply. Photos of the girl show her pensive and lost in thought. As for John Jr., he was still not quite old enough to understand the dimension of what had happened, but old enough to sense that something was wrong. Jackie herself wrote a tribute to Jack. She wrote and wrote and wrote, going through numerous revisions before settling on 391 words. I should have known, she said, that it was asking too much to dream that I might have grown old with him and see our children grow up together. So now he is a legend, she continued, when he would have preferred to be a man. I must believe that he does not share our suffering now. And then came the dreaded day. A year ago to the day the eyes of Texas had been on, yes, President Kennedy, but particularly on Jackie in that stunning pink suit and pillbox hat, which she wore to a breakfast in Fort Worth, and then it was on to Dallas. She never wore that suit again, never saw it again, after she took it off early the next morning. And the famous pink pillbox hat is still missing, a smaller but enduring mystery of that day. Now, a year later, she spent the day in seclusion, holed up in a rented stone house on Long Island. It was isolated and lonely, a perfect metaphor for the still-grieving widow. She told a friend that she often woke up in the middle of the night and turned, expecting to find her husband next to her. But the bed was always empty, she said. He lay in a cold grave hundreds of miles away. Painful as it was, Jackie made it through that first dreaded anniversary of the assassination. She would endure 29 more November 22nds in her life. She came to call November itself her difficult time of year. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Now back to our story. I was saying that Jackie made it through that terrible first anniversary of her husband's assassination and burial. The Arlington grave that President Kennedy had been buried in the year before had obviously been dug in haste. Few knew it, but Jackie and the Kennedy family had been working with an architect on a more permanent design of that grave. This newsreel gave Americans some of the first details. In a year, more than 7 million visited the gravesite. 
that will now be marked with a monument simple in design, but majestic in its simplicity. The tomb will have the eternal flame as its center symbol. Beside the main slate marker will be two smaller stones over the graves of his two infant children. The permanent grave at Arlington, the one that's there today, was designed by an architect by the name of John Carl Warnicke. Warnicke had known JFK since 1956 and Jackie since 1962. He worked with her to preserve the federal buildings in Lafayette Square across from the White House. There's even an eerie photo of them together that year with Jackie wearing that soon-to-be infamous pink suit. After the assassination, Jackie and Robert Kennedy asked Warnicke to help design the permanent grave. He plunged in. It soon became evident that Jackie and Warnicke were attracted to each other. Here's Paul Turner, a longtime professor at Warnicke's alma mater, Stanford. In working on this project, Warnicke spent a good deal of time conferring with Jackie. And in the process, they gradually became emotionally close. Warnicke was single. He had been divorced from his wife in 1960. And he and Jackie began a romantic relationship, which over the next couple of years grew in intensity as they spent more and more time together. This would be Jackie's first true relationship since her husband's death. Jackie would invite Warnicke to visit her at the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport and at her um, mother's estate in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and in New York City, and at a private retreat that she had in uh, New Jersey. The big question, why John Warnicke? Jackie biographer Pamela Keogh says because he checked off all the boxes, that's why. John Warnicke was a renowned uh, architect, and I think he was clearly handsome. He was her intellectual equal. And I think also they shared a history and a past, and I think she trusted him. You know, like anybody who she was going to become involved with, you know, you, the, the, the first thought of the back of your mind would be like, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't, like, sell me out to the New York Post. So I think, uh, you know, he, she had a shared history with Warnicke, and, and I think he was a, maybe a Stanford football star. I'm not quite sure. You know, he was educated. He came from a good family. She felt safe with him, and she trusted him. So that was, that, I think, part of the appeal. Also exceptionally good-looking, if you look up his photographs. Warnicke was also a decade older than Jackie, who usually preferred older men. Jack Kennedy, of course, had been 12 years older. This relationship would be wonderful for Jackie, healthy and restorative. She and Warnicke eventually fell in love and considered marriage. At one point, Jackie's sister, Lee, was quoted as saying they were definitely going to wed, but Robert Kennedy, seeing this through a political prism, was a bit more cautious and thought it might be too soon. Jackie and Warnicke tried to keep all this discreet, but it's hard keeping your love life under wraps when you're the most famous woman in the world. It was inevitable that news of their relationship would get out. One French newspaper described Warnicke as a rich architect, which was wrong. Not the architect part, the rich part. This would ultimately become a problem. More on that later. You, Lyndon Baines Johnson... Do solemnly swear. I, Lyndon Baines Johnson, do solemnly swear. That you will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of the presidency of the United States. The office of the presidency of the United States. And will to the best. Just as Jackie could not vote for Lyndon Johnson in 1964, she could not bear to attend his inaugural in January 1965. It should have been 
her husband taking the oath, her husband beginning another four years as president, and both of them, along with Caroline and John, beginning another four years as the nation's first family. Johnson had promised a Texas-style inaugural bash, and after his swearing-in, he even rode back to the White House in X-100, the very same 1961 Lincoln Continental that President Kennedy had been murdered in. He even sat right where JFK sat. It had been turned into a fortress on wheels, including heavy armor plating and a non-removable bullet-resistant bubble top. Jackie's Secret Service agent, Clint Hill, who had now gone back to the White House detail, even walked beside it as the car made its way down Pennsylvania Avenue. Jackie understandably had no desire to see any of this, not the White House, and certainly not that car, that awful car. She detested Washington, wouldn't even attend the groundbreaking a few weeks before for the new John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Out of sight, out of mind. This, in essence, was Jackie's philosophy as she strove to get on with her life and forget her painful past. The assassination was now more than a year in the past. Jackie was settled in at 1040 Fifth Avenue and had turned it into a real home. As I mentioned, Clint Hill had just gone back to the White House, but they still spoke from time to time. She was just getting on with the times, uh, putting the past behind her as best she could. Uh, she, you know, wanted to be up to date with everything, and uh, that's what she was doing, enjoying life best she could. For Jackie, living life as best she could meant maintaining her privacy. She treasured it. She needed it. Now here's where a little-known friendship with another world-famous woman comes in, Greta Garbo. Garbo was a huge movie star in the 1920s and 30s. In fact, in 1999, the American Film Institute ranked her the fifth greatest female star ever. Fifth. If you don't know anything about Garbo, you might know this line, one of the most famous lines in movie history. I just want to be alone, she said in the 1932 classic Grand Hotel. That movie, by the way, won an Academy Award for Best Picture that year. Anyway, at the very height of her fame, Garbo fled Hollywood, the town that made her famous, for New York. She wanted privacy. She wanted to be left alone. Jackie and Garbo actually knew each other. They had dinner with President Kennedy in the White House nine days before the assassination. A mutual friend arranged the dinner. Now Jackie fled the town that made her famous Washington also for New York. She, too, wanted privacy. Garbo reached out, and the two famous women renewed their acquaintance. Here again, Barbara Perry. It does make sense that the two would hit it off, wouldn't it, that here are these two uh, beauties, uh, beauties mm -hmm. of their time, uh, who also exit the stage uh, in terms of their most public uh, elements at the height of their beauty, uh, not because, as in the president's case, they die at an early age or Marilyn Monroe dies at an early age. There are people like that who are frozen in time for us because of their early deaths, but people who live a longer life uh, but choose to exit the stage at the height of their beauty and the height of their power, uh, then they live with this mystique, it seems to me, that they can pick and choose how they might want to use that uh, image or mystique, as I think Mrs. Kennedy did. Sounds like Garbo became fairly reclusive and didn't really want to have any public life at all. Well, the famous line from uh, one of the Garbo movies is, uh, I want to be left alone. Indeed. And I think 
I think that's something that certainly resonated with the Jackie, although, as you say, uh, left alone on her terms. Right. right. Jackie's social status, her powerful allure, meant that she could associate with anyone she wanted to. No one said no to Jackie who would want to. Here's another excerpt from my conversation with Clint Hill, also chiming in his friend and co-author, Lisa McCubbin. Uh, most of the people that she were close to were people like uh, uh, like Stevenson. Stevenson was ambassador to the United Nations. And it, what's the guy's name? Truman Capote. Capote was the famed author and Manhattan social butterfly. She had this wide variety of, of people with whom she associated that uh, ran the gamut. I mean, it was just uh, um, one, uh, trying to think of this actor's name. I remember she went to a party at his place in New York. We didn't get out of there about two it's or three in the morning. The guy that was... Real tall guy with a mustache, very distinguished. Yeah, he used to do the, um, <clears throat> like, oh God horror films, kind of. Yeah. Vincent Price? Yes, yes. Vincent Price, yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, he had a party in his place. Were... The House of Wax guy? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he this place, you know, beautiful penthouse in New York. Horror films uh, pay well. Apparently. So Jackie was now beginning to enjoy herself. The worst was over. And yet, from time to time, duty called. In our next episode... This acre of English soil is now bequeathed in perpetuity to the American people in memory of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. A tribute from the Queen. Jackie is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer, Hannah Ray Leach. Sound designer and engineer Sean Rule Hoffman and executive producers Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. Theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Thanks for listening. And again, I hope you'll check out my new book on Jackie Between Her Two Marriages. It's called Jackie, Her Transformation from First Lady to Jackie O, available everywhere. And if you're enjoying this show, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other history fans find the show. I'm Paul Brandis. We'll see you next time. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration are the events that may not be as well-known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency. On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern-day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and as a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.